Cool. All right, everybody. This is uh, my name is Anthony Strain. I'm the host and moderator for Crowdsource Politics, a podcast born out of the Crowdsource Politics Facebook debate group. Uh, today, I am joined by Dylan Captivilla, Mateo de Gaulle. And tonight we are going to be discussing the third Democratic presidential primary debate. We are starting a bit late, and I highly apologize for that. We, are ha we had some technical difficulties, even though we tested everything yesterday and today as well. Uh, just the kind of nature of you know using Facebook and various other programs in order to do this. Uh, if you are just joining us, um, the thing that you see at the bottom with the recording, that's just a bot that the discord server that we use uses to record uh it is a free to use program and we highly recommend it if you're ever needing to record an interview or anything else that you might be doing uh with friends or family or anything of like of that nature uh and i guess without further ado i guess we should start the show yeah you should probably mention that we're waiting on art black also Oh, yes. Uh, Art Black is supposed to be joining us tonight. Uh, we've reached out to him and uh, he's running late. Uh, he said he'd still be able to be making it if he could. Um, so I, there must have something that came up. And uh, so that's why he's not here right now. But we're hoping that he'll be able to join us shortly. And of course, you can get your Art Black fix on any of our other uh, crowdsourced politics podcast episodes. Right. Oh, and uh, Matthew Trawick, he is a regular on the program as well. He has just been very busy with uh, real life, got a new job, been working massive amount of hours. So we're not trying to cut him out or anything. He's just been super busy, and we would love to have him back on the show as a regular member. One other thing uh, to note as well is that we are doing a new segment within our shows called Better Know a Member, where we interview members that are willing to be interviewed and share their little bit of their life story, what they think about the group, why they stay into the group, and basically just whatever else they're willing to share. Our first interview was conducted this past week, and we hope to have it included in the next show that we publish from the podcast itself. And if not then, then the one after that. It just depends on how we can fit it in. All right, so I think we should get on with it. Dylan, do you have what are your first thoughts of the debate? Just just general. Yeah, general thoughts on the debate. Uh, I overall, I think it was relatively uneventful. <clears throat> I mean, there was plenty that happened, but as far as any uh, you know individual event that kind of changed the needle for one candidate candidate or the other. I didn't really see that like we did in the last debates. Uh, you know, Kamala Harris had a pretty, you know, she had some moments in the last in the last debate that really bumped her up about 10 percentage points. Uh, and I, I didn't really see anything like that in this, uh, this last one. No, I can definitely agree with that. There wasn't, I don't think it necessarily moved the needle at all, but what are your thoughts on it, Mateo? Uh, I thought, what actually caught my attention was everyone trying to erode Biden's kind of uh, claim to fame, which is Obama. They like started off, they prefaced almost all their, their uh, speeches about anything that was near Obama with, and let's say thank you to Obama or something. And that pretty much took a lot of wind out of uh, Biden's sales. 
so do we think go ahead dylan sorry yeah so i was just going to say that uh, when you say that you mean that they kind of tried to distance biden from obama as opposed to you know uh, attacking obama's legacy and therefore attacking joe uh, basically, Joe Biden likes to name drop Obama a lot, and it almost makes it seem like it's Joe Biden and Obama versus the rest. And they were trying to kind of make it look they were bringing themselves closer to Obama than pushing Biden away from Obama. Yeah, I definitely remember seeing that from uh, Julian Castro in particular. Harris, too. It was done a yeah. bunch of times. Those people really laid it on thick. So do we think do we think that uh, they're then is Obama's it by 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 proxy is Obama's legacy being attacked by some of these main Democrats? Um, I I don't think so. Uh, I think you saw some, uh, particularly from Warren. Uh, you saw her attacking Joe Biden's record while explicitly saying you know defending Obama and saying that uh, you know she was very thankful of his legacy, very thankful of the things that he did, uh, and that he was you know. I think on the healthcare answer, uh, she she mentioned that he brought us forward a huge step, but that but that we need to go further in in her answer. Yeah, I thought that was a masterful move politically because I I actually attended. Uh, she had a rally in Austin on Tuesday, and I attended it, and she was you know staying for selfies and everything. But I had to leave because I wasn't about to stay you know two hours to wait for a selfie. But I'm like, man, I wish I really been able to like mention like what she exactly did and it's not like i thought no one would mention it to her it's just like man i really hope that she's able to like go after biden without disparaging obama and when she did that i'm like oh man she won she just won the debate right there like that's my bias coming out a bit but that's the way i felt it's just like i knew nobody else was gonna do it but i think a lot of what biden was doing is trying to frame it as them attacking obama's legacy but really most of them are pushing for a public option which is more true to what obama wanted than the PPACA that we got. True. Yeah. Very true. Um, so uh, I think there were a lot of different answers for the for the health care question. I guess this is a good transition considering that was the first topic of debate. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, most of them supported Medicare for all, uh, except for Biden. Uh, is he the only candidate who doesn't support some version of Medicare for all? I think Biden does. Didn't Biden say he had that uh, the opt-in or automatically you'll be opted in if you meet a certain uh, financial? I, yeah, I, th- I think that Biden's is going back to the public option, but it's a public option that is automatic below a certain income threshold. Uh, I don't personally know the what that threshold is, but he did say that. And that's what a lot of the more let's call them moderates, I guess, are saying as well that they would want him, they would want the public option to come back. Um, Pete, Pete, Mayor Pete explicitly says that I want Medicare for all that want it. (laughs) So. Yeah. So I, I mean, Biden, he explicitly said he, he was very specific when he said this, that he, he wants to keep Obamacare and expand on it. Uh, and that public option that he's referring to, it's more of an expansion of Medicare rather than Medicare for all. That was my impression uh, from from his answers last or you know on Thursday. 
it almost seemed like he was too attached to the PPACA, like almost like he wasn't trying to say that that was like something that he had to compromise with the Republicans for. He's almost defending it like it's like it's Obama. Like, honestly, yeah. he should be going for public options just like Obama was, just like most of the moderates are, because they keep stressing like that's something they said more than Marshall Plan was the word choice, you know? Yeah, uh, I I completely agree with you. I mean, it. I was under the impression, I think we most of us were under the impression uh, that the ACA, that Obamacare was, you know, it was a compromise. It was a half measure uh, because that was what we could do politically at the time. And now Biden's kind of, he doesn't want to take it any further than that. He kind of thinks like that was the end goal uh, with maybe, you know, maybe some tweaks. Uh, that's the impression that I'm getting. Yeah, I agree. Only recently has he really been pushing that whole, uh, you know, automatic uh, opt-in that uh, Castro called a buy-in. Yeah, that was one of the uh, attacks that Castro went to try to like highlight Biden's age and mental faculties uh, being oh. not what they were. And they were they didn't get the the fact check in until the end, but there was one of the first fact checks they did. It was like, hey, that's not actually what Biden said, so you're wrong, Castro. Yeah, that yeah. really embarrassed him. That was such a horrible moment. Like I'm all I'm very pro being aggressive, but you know, you gotta, you gotta be right. right. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole exchange was pretty he he put himself out on a limb there and I think he, he fell off. Uh so speaking of uh, I'm going to kind of direct the conversation a little bit. Uh, stop me, but you know, speaking of that moment, do you think there were any, you know, very obvious losers on Thursday? There, we said that there weren't any winners. Kamala Harris. I mean, I like her a lot. I'm kind of you know pushing for her and everything, but she seemed to do a lot worse in previous debates. She seemed look might she seemed kind of like dismissive of the other candidates. And I don't yeah, think I would that was a good look for her. I'd, I'd also say that she seemed not just dismissive, but also more reserved than she was in the last two debates. And I don't necessarily know that goes along with her prosecutor uh, persona. The JV team seemed to do all around pretty well in this debate compared to, you know, varsity, to be metaphorical. Uh, yeah, I could say which candidates. When you say the JV team, I think I know who you're talking about, but like specifically like um klobuchar uh mayor pete i'm sort of want to put booker in there booker's in between and then like yang you know like those guys the not not really the front runners yeah yeah so i think everyone really except i think castro just because he had some pretty spectacular fails um but yeah i think beto and uh budigig but again, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think those two probably did the best for themselves, even though it wasn't, you know, a huge win. I think they probably uh, came away better from the debate. Biden started off really strong. It was a uh, kind of weird, and then he died. He slowly went down. Normally, I'm used to him being like down and steady, but he like started. Ah, never mind. No, I, I, I agree uh he's he's usually kind of keeps a steady pace throughout the events that we've seen from him so far and i think he kind of started stronger than we're used to and tailed off more than we're used to also 
Sorry, guys, if I'm being a little uh, quiet right now, I'm responding to a bunch of comments across the watch parties that we hosted. So this is that's why I'm not uh, saying much. I agree with both of their comments, though, about how uh, the quote unquote JV team did a bit better. Yeah, at least relative to where they're standing, you know. Do we have any questions yet? Any anything we can address? Uh, I don't see any questions yet. Mostly people just saying, hey, glad to see that we could connect voices to to names we see in the chat, uh, in the debate crest, and a couple of people like, this is a cool idea and stuff like that. The next topic was uh, the racial divide. You, want, you guys want to switch over to that? Uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty heavy one. I think switching yeah, making things racial, a little dark. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be bad. Um, so we all know that some people, uh, for lack of a better term, will say left book uh, saw what Biden's answer was, where he made record player Biden or record player Joe a thing. Uh, they saw that as being more explicitly racist than other things that he has said in the past. Wait, the record player? What? Who, who's saying these things? Like five people in like the deep, dark, scary corners? Of no. No. So, wait, so wait, the, wait. do you want me to explain it? Yeah, I need it explained. I'm not, I'm honestly not sure what's even going on with that. So, basically, when Biden was at, when in the answer, Biden said that uh, we need to have, you know, parents need to, they're not, it's not that they don't, it's not that they don't want help. It's that they don't know how to get the help or what to do. We need to recommend things like playing the record player or whatever when we're talking about kids uh, being able to learn more and do better in school and that sort of thing. But he said that to a question that asked, how do you address racial disparity and segregation that still exists today because of those things? Does that well, make was that his Was that his only answer or was that part of a broader thing that most people are just omitting? Uh, it, I mean, the answer kind of rambled. I could read exactly what he yeah, said. I remember him sort of rambling on that. I just don't, I didn't take away racism, but I'd have to go back and watch it because I mean, it was two and a half hours of them talking. I yeah, it was one of those answers. Like the first thing that I picked up on that was the record player thing because I was like live tweeting during it. Um, so I didn't catch the whole gist of the question, but I was like, this is really weird just in general. Yeah, I don't remember thinking, wow, that's racist. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like, considering maybe a bad answer. Yeah, no, it was a bad answer. Uh, and maybe that's where that idea is coming from. Just the fact that he didn't really have a good answer. And he tried to avoid giving any answer whatsoever. No, it could okay, be that wasn't racially that ignorant, wasn't. too. Like, it, it okay. could be a okay, lot so, of things, so, but someone calling yeah, it racism yeah. just strikes me. If, if that wasn't it, then... then uh, maybe I missed that because I didn't pick it up. I haven't looked at or read any of the commentary on the debate so far because I wanted to be, you know, like fresh, original. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, yeah, I, I'm missing this. So where did that come in? So it came in because the answer specifically asked, what would you do to address the legacy of racism that leads to segregation and poor outcomes for uh, people, uh, communities of color. And in his answer, he put the onerous on the fact that black people don't know how to raise their kids. That's the connection. That's the, 
I think that's a very strange way to take it. I mean, I took some notes and on that subject, Biden's only like standout thing. He was talking about pardoning nonviolent drug offenders, which seems a lot more noteworthy than something about a record player that doesn't imply. I don't think he meant to imply what people are taking from that at all. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I don't Probably think not, implying, but I... Yeah, I don't think that ahead. he was... In, yeah, I don't think that he was implying that they don't know how to raise their kids. I think what he was implying was that they have other things to do, other things on their mind, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just that the system doesn't work for them. I think that's kind of where he was trying to go with his answer, and he did it very poorly uh, and kind of got I just lost need the better, on addressing I need to go back to it. Question. I yeah, need to go back to it to really know how I feel about it, because that didn't strike me as like super... Like It was funny, because he mentioned a record player, but that was... I didn't strike me as racism. But then again, we're also three white guys discussing this issue. So, you know, our, our so we're not capable of being correct. No, 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 about no, 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 no. I'm not saying that we're not capable of being correct. I'm saying that our tip, our interpretation is all obviously colored by the ways that we would uh, necessarily give, give that answer uh, credit or not. So, you know, expect so, saying that everybody would have the exact same opinion as this, and if they don't, they're wrong. Okay. I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with. Well, basically, what Biden meant is what Biden meant. He's the only one who could tell us if they're wrong, but he's also a white man, sure. so I'm sure that's not allowed. But I would also say that I I actually do understand where those people are coming from, given the I context. Understand, the but I could also. I it's not that they're saying he's explicitly racist. Something else, and it's their responsibility to make sense of people's words. I would okay, say so I wasn't I, being whether they're black or white. Like it's insane that this even has to be said. You know. Sure, well, Dylan, go ahead. I'll, I'll break in after. Yeah. So I was just going to say that I've I've pulled up the the transcript. Mm -hmm. uh, do you mind if I read the question and then part of Biden's answer, the part that we're talking about? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, this will give people better context okay. in case they haven't seen it. S Right. Okay. So the question is, Mr. Vice President, I want to come to you and talk to you about in inequality in schools and race. In a conversation about how to deal with segregation in schools back in 1975, you told a reporter, I don't feel responsible for the sins of my father and grandfather. I feel responsible for what the situation is today, for the sins of my own generation, and I'll be damned if I feel responsible to pay for what happened 300 years ago. You said that some 40 years ago, that as you stand here tonight, what responsibility do you think that Americans need to take to repair the legacy of slavery in our country? Okay, so that was the question. Uh, Biden's answer, uh, it's pretty long. I'll just cut to the relevant part. Uh, so the last part is, uh, it's not want, they don't want to help. They don't. They don't know quite what to do. Play the radio, make sure the television, excuse me, Make sure you have the record player on at night. The the make sure that kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. Okay, uh, now, that was the last part of his answer. Yeah, so, I get what he's saying, and I totally, I actually really understand where a lot of the people who are upset with it are coming from. Now, it is a really misplaced answer, and it does, it can mm -hmm. be taken that way easily. I could see it now. Yep. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> it's almost a that a second time, <laughs> reading that a second time, like the first time I heard that, I was like, okay, well, that didn't make any sense because he fumbles over his words a lot. But like reading this again, I'm kind of like, okay, well, he's he's really kind of saying that it's the families who don't know that they're supposed to, what, like speak more? I, I think there's the a case? study done where um, 
you know, there racial minorities have heard less words by the time they're a certain age than white people. And yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't well. explicitly racial minorities. It was uh, poor people in general that they hear okay. uh, a less robust vocabulary uh, from their parents ex explicitly, regardless of the parents' uh, educational background, because they're not with their kids as much. So if you're, so, you're two working okay. people, trying to make a middle-class weight, uh, middle-class living for your family, or if you're a single parent or whatever, you're obviously going to be working more away from your kids than with them in order to give them the life that you feel like they should have. But that also, that, and it's not their fault, but it also gives their kids a disadvantage because they're not spending that time with them. Right. And in his defense, he does say, you know, a kid coming from a very poor school. But at the same time, this is a question in reference to racial inequality. So he's, re yeah, exactly. he's referring to poor, poorer black students. And not only that, it's like, well, this was about all black people. All black people are, you know, they're not all the same, but they're, you know, racism is a thing. But you're focusing on poor people. So do you consider black to be an equivalent of poor? So it was. It it has all that stuff wrapped into that one answer, and that's why it's played very badly. Despite the fact that we kind of know what he means, it's just it comes off as like, well, Joe doesn't know anything about race. Well, black people are more disproportionately poor, and so are other minorities. I think people tend mm -hmm. to get disparities wrong. Like they'll actually just attribute it to like black, like Biden might is probably doing. Yep. And it's just it's totally sloppy, and it's always going to cause miscommunication. Yeah, I think that's exactly the right word, sloppy. Uh, I, I can kind of see where he's coming from, and it's just, it's, it's off. It's all off. It's, it was a poor answer that was given poorly. I think he's a man of his time, and his time is gone, but I, don't, I wouldn't consider that racism. I think he just doesn't know any better. Yeah. Uh, how old is Joe? 76 years old? I have no clue. I think he is about 76 years old. Yep, 76 years old, according to Google. Uh, born in 1942, so Joe was in his prime in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and that sounds like an answer that you would hear maybe in the 80s or 90s. Yep. And that brings up the whole age issue, and I think that's a good segue, uh, that I think that bernie's performance while he was on top of his game the fact that he needed a lodgings or something in order to help his throat might have given people the wrong impression of what was happening with him i think bernie did horrible and main some of it was how he sounded and just he's actually in general just not doing well a lot of people have appropriated his message and he's diluted he's not exactly as uh he's not a standout anymore well, right. I mean, you also don't. He also isn't getting the anyone but Hillary vote. So that's that's diluted with a T, not diluted with a D, right? Yeah. Okay. Diluted. On the healthcare thing, I remember Bernie couldn't like for the life of him defend uh, outlawing private healthcare. He just went with platitudes when someone mentioned to him. It's like, why not choice? Why not give people what they want if they want private? And he just went yeah, off no, with like almost a slogan here. Yeah, well, I no, mean, I he agree. is morally opposed to insurance existing as a profit venture. So, like, if that's your stance, you're not going to really be able to really uh, defend it outside of ideology. Well, he couldn't defend it to, I guess, yeah, but it didn't look like he put up a fight. He just kind of pivoted to a, like a selling point. Right. Like, it's and almost it's like, like turning sure. on a commercial instead of saying anything. 
if that's his ideology, he should still be able to defend his ideology, right? If there's, you know, if he doesn't want private insurance to exist, even as a luxury product, it should just be outlawed uh, entirely. Uh, he should be able to defend that stance with a somewhat coherent uh, and reasonable answer. And he he didn't really. Mateo's right. He just relied on platitudes about, uh, you know, corporate profits that didn't really have any relevance to the question he was asked. No, I can see that definitely. Um, do we think that the with the healthcare thing? I think we we covered it a little bit, but where do you think Democrats are? Do you think they're split about fifty fifty from the private, uh, not private? I'm sorry, from the public option or just MRA? No, um, not fifty fifty. I would just say it's pretty much Bernie and anyone trying to appeal to Bernie people, but everyone but Bernie is going to eventually switch to a public option. There's no way. Yeah, so Maybe Warren will hold on for a little while, but she's going to be a party. I, I don't want to say puppet. She's going to be a party player. Yeah, no, yeah, she's I, definitely trying to go ahead, Dylan. Sorry. Yeah, I uh, I think that's that's a better phrase for it than puppet is party player. Uh, I'm yeah, actually, puppet's just not the right word. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not terribly familiar with. I mean, with Warren's healthcare plan, as far as public option goes, uh, versus is she is she also on the ban uh, private insurance companies wagon? I think no, no, she, no. She was at first, but she walked that back. Warren is liquid. She's going to take a lot of different positions that contradict them this whole race. I wouldn't say that she's liquid. She's very firm on some things, but she's not. She's trying to win, so she's not going to go too far off of what is going to be able to win with. Yeah, I think like she, has a, she, she won't stand in the what I think what it is that she won't stand in the way of blocking uh, M4A just to be able to give people the ability to buy Cadillac insurance plans. But she also won't get in the way of somebody being like, hey, let's pass the public option because we have the votes. Medi Medicare for all is an interesting uh, kind of moniker, too. Like, I feel like it can mean different things to different people. Like each candidate totally can have a does. totally different plan and call it Medicare for all. Well, that's the point. Yeah, that's why they've muddied the waters almost instantly on that. Yeah, that's marketing. That's good for everyone <laughs> and bad for everyone. Yeah, and if you if you if you pay attention, everyone is every plan that everyone's proposing, they're marketing as a Medicare for all plan, even though they're all pretty different from each other. There there are quite a few positions that they've each staked out on from one end of the spectrum to the other. Uh, and everyone's kind of taken their own little niche in that spectrum, but they're all being marketed as a Medicare for all plan. Yeah, but we definitely, I mean, there's a lot more we could talk about, even what Klobuchar said and everything, but uh, I feel like we kind of stressed healthcare. Yeah, I think we're good with the healthcare uh, aspect of it as well. Uh, I think bringing up Kobolchar was a as a segue. Honestly, how do we think that she did now that she's on the stage uh, with instead of just being on the JV stage that she's on the stage with the top ten people directly? I personally don't think that she set anyone on fire. Like, not very charismatic um, in that regard. But how do you think she did? Uh, her answer on like uh, one of the racism questions or the race questions was pretty bad. Uh, she has a, a she doesn't have a great record when it comes to any of those types of issues. And then she just kind of uh, again like what Bernie did, just started going selling. You know. Uh, what was the 
I don't recall that question. Was it in regards to her uh, time as a prosecutor? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, it was just she tried some cases or she put some people in jail. I, I wish I remembered the question. Actually, it's not in my notes. Well, no, no worries at all. Uh, but yeah, Dylan, you got any thoughts about her? Uh, Klobuchar, I I like Klobuchar, um, but I think I think you were right. She didn't set anyone on fire, but I think that's also the kind of candidate that she is, uh, where she just kind of she's a solid piece who's never really going to be awful, but never really going to be great at any specific topic or any you know. She, there's there's really nothing. Ab- about her that stands out um, relative to the other candidates. So I think even though this, you know, even though this debate might have helped her, I, I can't think, honestly, like I'm trying to think of any specific answer she gave to any specific question, and I can't. Like, I, uh, probably painting assault weapons. She probably was really specific about that. That was right, and that probably caught your attention more than it caught mine, <laughs> because that's an issue that's that's important to you. But uh, n- like, n- not me, and <laughs> and it just I didn't see anything from Klobuchar that made me think, wow, she's going to get some votes from that. No, not uh, nothing. Yeah, that's one of the. I was sitting, I was watching the debate live um, at a like bar for the Travis County Democratic Party was was putting it on. And that was like the first thing someone said is like, she's not letting anyone fire go home. <laughs> so what do we think about the the moderator asking those questions of her and Kamala though, as far as their prosecutorial, prosecutorial uh, history? Do we think that that was fair? Was that injecting too much politics into it? What, what are our thoughts? Totally fair. Yeah, that's a fair question, uh, and you know they should have been able to give good answers to it. Now, do you think that that is hurting them both? Do you think the the meme "Camel as a cop" is actually detrimental to her, or do you think that that's not really uh, a big issue for her? Uh, it's among a certain crowd. It's detrimental. Uh, the more lib- because it's a democratic primary, it would be left libertarians who she's, you know, who would be turned off by that definitely. But I don't think left libertarians are going to go for Kamala Harris e- either way, even if she wasn't a prosecutor in her past. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily say that it's it's going to make it it's it's making a dent, other than we we're getting some white hot memes from it. In the primaries, okay, it's going to hurt her. But in the general election, that's something that Democrats will brush off. They won't even care. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if she makes it to the general election, though, I don't know. She's been dropping precipitously, has she not, in the polls? Yeah, after that she's been just losing ground. Do you think that's because of her inability to attack uh, Biden on more than one issue? Do you think this is a second debate problem, or is this as more people learn about her? I think it's because of her inability to really get attention. Uh, so she, a couple of days before the debate, she came out with a healthcare plan. I didn't hear anything about it until the debate when she mentioned it. I was like, I was very confused because that was the first time I'd heard of it. It, it. Just because it didn't really get any coverage, you know. Like I watch news pretty much twenty four seven every day, and I didn't hear anything about it. Uh, so I, I think her her problem is just making herself visible. Okay, I can see that's kind of fair 
for assessment. Do we have uh, any questions from the audience? Uh, I know that I've posted in the chat a couple of times. We have several people still watching. Uh, feel free to ask questions, guys. I don't know if you guys are monitoring the chat or not. Uh, and if I can say this, I also think that Kamala has kind of an in-attitude problem. Uh, at least, uh, I mean, I don't think that she's very personable, right? I think the most personable candidate on the stage last night was Warren, uh, followed by Biden, probably. Um, maybe Buttigieg also. Uh, but Kamala... Like I said, she kind of came off mean. She laughed at Yang when he gave his kind of gimmicky thing at the beginning, which, yeah, it's gimmicky, but you don't need to laugh about it. Like, it just didn't come off as a good look for her. And that's kind of, she kind of has vibes of that going throughout pretty much her whole campaign is that she's, you know, you could see her ripping out some throats. Uh, and sometimes that works for her. But as far as, personality goes it really doesn't as far as that's like actually what i like about her i think that's a good personality trait but then again oh, i i agree i you know i'm i'm spent a lot of time around lawyers and i understand like that personality <laughs> like you have to have that personality in order to to do well at, at what she has done in her in her career history uh and i understand it like i don't think it's mean i think it comes off as mean no, yeah, I can true. see that a lot. Very, I just very much. prefer it, but yeah, I could see how some people might take it as mean. So we do actually have a question. Uh, Jackson Atkins had asked us, "Do we think Warren is losing credibility with the Sanders crowd?" Um, maybe a little, but whatever she's sacrificing in that group, I think she's more than making up for elsewhere. And I think her poll numbers reflect that. Uh, if you look at her, pretty much. From the day she launched her campaign, there isn't any one particular spike in approval rating for Warren. It just kind of seems like the more coverage she gets, the more she's out there, um, the uh, the higher her approval rating goes. She's just on a steady path up, and I think that's probably yeah. going to continue. Yeah, I think she's uh, she's got more to gain from the establishment vote than the Sanders vote anyway. But uh, Yeah, I was just about to say that as well. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you completely. Go ahead, though. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, no, I didn't really have much else to say. Um, and actually, if I could make another point, it doesn't look like Bernie's numbers have really dropped or risen at all. It looks like the people who support Bernie support Bernie. You know, uh, there aren't really a whole lot of Bernie supporters that are going to favor Warren in the Democratic primary. If and if we're talking about a general election, then Bernie supporters are almost certainly going to support Warren over Trump. And there aren't going to be many who stay home because it's Elizabeth Warren. You know, that might be the case if we're talking about Biden, but not Warren compared to, uh, you know, Bernie voters. No, I definitely agree with that, too. I also think that right now there isn't a need to pick one or the other. So Warren is picking up a lot of if not first choice, second people. So she is the highest rated candidate amongst people's second choice. She pretty much pulls 
as far as the polling is concerned right now, she pretty much pulls everybody right now as like the second choice. So if it does go to a contested convention, she might be the consensus candidate. Yeah, no, I don't think it'll go to a contested convention uh, just because we still have 10 candidates out right now. Uh, We do. We have what, like 10 more candidates who are on the verge of dropping out because they weren't in the debate at all. And as soon as those candidates start to drop out, I think they're pretty much I think most of that support is going to go to Elizabeth Warren because, A, she's a new candidate. She has the most support among the new candidates, Uh, you Mm -hmm. know, people who are familiar with Biden. Uh, people are familiar with Bernie, uh, and if they were going to support them, they're already supporting them. You know, there there isn't much exposure, uh, much of an exposure issue. Uh, so I think she's going to pick up more support from the the candidates who drop out, and I think that's going to happen soon. She's a former Republican, and she's not exactly you know as far left as Bernie. I don't think the Bernie base should have ever really have seen her as like a friend. I I think she was a former Republican in the sense of. This is kind of what I believe. But as things went on, she's like, oh, wait, this is all baggage from my parents. This is stupid. <laughs> like, I don't and, know if you look at that ever- through the lens of a Bernie fanatic. They're not going to care about that. They're going to see a Republican and think some enemy shit. Uh, maybe. I, I just no, don't think I don't see that. See, because so okay. for a little bit of my background, like I'm actually kind of, you know, with the Bernie crowd uh, on some things. I try to uh, be very much politically engaged here in Austin, Texas, and um, I'm actually trying to help start or restart a chapter for our revolution, which is the Bernie Sanders Super PAC. And, or I'm not sorry, not Super PAC, PAC. And um, from my experience, yeah, there's a ton of people who are like Bernie and only, you know, Bernie or bust. But most of them don't like the politically, actually politically engaged people, the ones that are trying to get the work done, see Warren as a very close ally. See, I was going to say that be the closest, but I just think a lot of people are putting her closer than she should be. See, I don't think even a lot of people know that she used to be a Republican uh, many years ago. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know, and I don't think a lot of people really particularly care. Uh, I think the reason that Bernie supporters kind of saw her as an ally is because they're both very, they're both about, you know, economic justice, uh, social justice candidates, uh, as opposed to, you know, candidates who are based on more practical uh, metrics. Um which I would say would be the moderates, except I don't think that's actually the case. But at least they give that impression, right? They're very, they're out there. They're very out there with their morals. They very, very much wear them on their sleeves, and I think that makes them similar enough. Um, and they're both very much against, you know, uh, I, I'm afraid to phrase it like this, but evil corporate America, right? That was a focus for both of them, uh, and I think that's why they're very similar candidates as far as the people that they attract. Oh, well, for sure. Go may, ahead. Maybe, maybe I'm being too general then. Maybe it's more just among the type of people who call Democrats neocons or uh, neoliberals. I mean, I'm sorry. Okay. So, yeah, I thought that that's what you were, you were getting at. And that's why I, I brought up my own personal experience in real life. I think that's a very loud portion online, but it's not very loud in so much in real life unless there's you know, of course, if it goes to a contested convention and it's between her and Bernie Sanders, they're gonna it's gonna be brutal. But at the end of the day, you know, it's only gonna be some of a very few amount of people on either of those sides that will 
take it, take that, uh, not prejudice, take that, um, like, I don't know, what, take that with them to the grave. That's what you know, I'm trying to say. You know, if it does come down between her and Bernie, I don't think it would be brutal. Uh, I don't think it would be as divisive as you think it would be. Well, it all depends on how they they react with one another. But I'm I'm just saying from past experience with contested conventions and politics is that it can get very brutal. But yeah. like I said, at the end of the day, they're probably gonna, it's going to be reconciled pretty quickly. Yeah, I just uh, Bernie has always been kind of reticent to go to go super negative against other Democratic candidates, uh, and I think Warren kind of has the same mindset. I don't think that they would be. I don't think they have the stomach to just go all all out negative campaigning against each other, and I I just don't, okay. I don't see that happening. Yeah. No, that's fair. So we actually have another question. Um, so, oh, sorry, we're do do we think that the super? Oh wait, I lost it. Sorry, there was two questions. Uh, okay, so do we think that super delegates are going to play a big role in the official Democratic nomination this cycle? And will there be the same kind of controversy around them if so? And that is from Jason McCombie. Can I address that one? Sure. Go ahead. Uh, no. Uh, Superdelegates, the Democratic, the DNC uh, took some steps to strip superdelegates of a lot of their power after the last primary because of the controversy surrounding it. And they still have some power. I can't remember the exact numbers right now, but it's really not going to be enough to make any sort of difference in the ultimate candidate. And, you know, Biden's the the favorite uh, among the, I guess, what you would call the establishment right now, except, you know, he's still only pulling at 25 to 30% support among Democrats. And that's just not enough for superdelegates super to make the difference between him getting the nomination and another Democrat getting the nomination. And they don't also get to vote until the second round if there's a their second round or something like that. So it all depends. They they were made less dis divisive. So there is a follow-up to that. Do we think they're a valuable tool, tool for the party or are they just a hack to let the party leaders appoint whoever they like? I think they're a valuable tool for the party because it lets the party like people think it's like some sort of scandal when the party takes charge of its own self. Like they should be allowed to say, yeah, no, sorry, we choose this guy instead, but we did let you vote first. They're allowed. They should be allowed to do that. They have bylaws and everything. They're the ones who write the bylaws. A lot of people go ahead, Dylan. Sorry. Yeah. I, you're right to some degree. I think Mateo, but at the, on the other hand, Democratic Party still represents half the country, uh, and it would. There is some issue with going against what half the country, you know, chooses. Absolutely, it's not meant to be used, really. Like every left and right, they're not going to. I don't even know how many times they've even pulled that off. I don't think it's. I think Once? I don't think it's really ever made us. You know, the difference between a candidate winning and a candidate losing. Uh, I think exactly, that would, it's, also, it's such a powerful tool and it's going to cause so much problems. Like it's only there for like, it's an emergency, like escape hatch in a way. Right. But at the same time, it did make a difference in the ultimate results uh, it, as far as delegate count goes uh, in the last democratic primary. And it did make a difference uh, for perception. And that is important, right? Uh, the, the super delegate situation, because it really hasn't made a difference 
you could argue that it's superfluous and that the negative impact of uh, having that tool available to them is is you know outweighs the benefit that they get from it. Well, we also need to recognize uh, a couple of things about the superdelegates in themselves in general. So, um, I think even in 2016, I believe a majority of the superdelegates were elected officials. So it's not like it was just you know somebody came in the party, donated a ton of money, and then became a superdelegate. It was no like senators were superdelegates, party officials were superdelegates, uh, leaders of the house were superdelegates. It was it was that sort of thing for the most part. But also, yeah, exactly. the party they were a bunch of money, get elected, and then become a super delegate. <laughs> of course, I mean, of course, you can okay. go about it in a roundabout way. Uh, Dylan, could you move closer to your mic a little bit? You're cutting off a little bit on that one. Sorry about that. Is this better? Yeah, that's better. Thank you. Um, another thing is that super delegates are fairly recent phenomenon. Uh, I want to say that they were a result of the contestant invention with McGovern as a way to make a contested convention less chaotic to the general public as well. And um, I'd have to look up the history on that. I'm not terribly familiar with it, honestly. Yeah, it's uh, interesting, but I'm not totally prepared for it. Uh, it's fine. I was just I brought it up for the audience in general and kind of a little background thing. I'm like, we're not going to discuss it at length. Um, but I also say that I agree with Mateo is that like I personally prefer the European style of parties more than the American style of parties. I, I think that there's not enough required of a person to vote in a primary to pick a party's representative. And while we can say, we can pontificate and say that, you know, the, the likelihood of a person voting in a primary of not their party is small. I don't necessarily think that that should be a thing in general. I don't want. I don't like to see cross party, um, cross party votes in a primary when it's supposed to be people that are actually a part of the party deciding who represents them to the general electorate. Like I, I don't mean, see the what, primary what process you, to be inherently democratic. Like the way it's set up now is to make it more democratic, but I don't necessarily personally agree with that. And I know this is going to get me extricated, but we're good. <laughs> Yeah, what what's specifically what changes would you like to see? Um, I think that people should have to do more to be recognized as a party member. I'm not I'm not going to say that people need to like, you know, volunteer a bunch of their time or donate a ton of money or necessarily pay high union or high membership dues. The Libertarian Party does have membership fees uh for for voting and if you're not a member you don't get to vote in the libertarian party's convention you can be a you can be a a non-voting member without you know paying dues or whatever but you can't you know vote on anything important that's important to the party so anything such as like uh bylaws or not not even bylaws but like resolutions and that sort of thing either okay but i think that leads to a certain set of problems which is that uh, and this is a problem that exists in the Libertarian Party, as you just mentioned, which is that uh, the candidates, a lot of people complain that the candidates don't necessarily represent the voter base. And that's because a lot of people who want to vote for that party don't participate <laughs> within the party. Right. Don't and, volunteer, and they don't not donate. voting is enough participation. They can abstain all they want. They made their choice. Well, you were saying is that the... Um, but I think Dylan's point is that more people would be 
better represented by libertarians if they had an, a more open uh, process. And and no, I, I don't, mean, I, don't I think that's that. the, I think that's yeah, the but, case for libertarians. I don't necessarily think that's a the the way libertarian the libertarian party should move, just because they're a, a very small, very very small third party and losing those donations would probably hurt them more than it's worth. Um, but if you apply that to the entire uh, U.S. election process, I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that I have, and this is getting way off track now. But um, like, yeah. I said, like, like I was saying, like, that's just a personal thing. I'm not going to fight it one way or the other. Like, it's a preference, but it's not you know, on the list of things that need to change party politics is like at the bottom. So party politics in that regards, the system is on the bottom. Okay. So next subject, next topic, where were we at in the, uh, in the debate recap? Uh, so we didn't really talk about Yang's stunt at the very beginning of where he's, where he made this huge thing. and like, there's something going to be the first time a presidential candidate's ever done a thing watch us on the debate. And he basically said that they're going to do an essay contest to give 10 people a thousand dollars a month uh, during the, the election cycle. So it's, it's really how do we think of that? Because campaigns handing out money for votes has been done before. That's, that's a joke. You're supposed to laugh. Sorry. Good could one. you, re could you repeat it? I, I was, my brain shuts off when I'm reading, so. <laughs> no, it's okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's it was definitely a gimmick, very gimmicky, uh, and it was supposed to get attention. And I think Kamala Harris shot it down immediately when she started laughing. And, it you know, it cut to Buttigieg because Buttigieg was supposed to give the next answer. And it just kind of, the camera just kind of zoomed in on his face, and he was just sitting there chuckling. And, yeah. and he goes, well, it's original. I'll give you that. And that really just, that took the wind out of Yang's sails, which I thought was sad to see. Um, but, you know, that's what you get. It's a risk. Yang's not playing this game to win. He's playing it to get attention. And that was his move. I would say that he's trying to kind of win, but I understand your point. He's more of a message candidate like Bernie was in when he threatened to run against Obama in 2012. Yeah. Mateo, what are your thoughts on that? What are, uh, is there legal complications with this? What, what's going on? I was curious if there was going to be some sort of campaign finance laws involved, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's nice. He's really, he's all in on it. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't think UBI is really that great. So my opinion on it's not going to be super high, but it's great. I mean, if, it, if it's legal, it's nice. Like it's a change of pace. Do we do we think that it was? I mean, Dylan already said that they, he believes that the other candidates kind of shot it down to take the wins out of sales. But do we think it ultimately will be a good marketing gimmick? I don't know. Is it really a gimmick nothing. though? <laughs> I think it's. I wouldn't call it a gimmick, but it, it'll play out like one. It's just. It's, you know, it's more of a. It's like an advertisement in ways. I'm not sure how to really characterize it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I'm what I mean when I say it's a gimmick, which is that the main point of his campaign doing this is to get attention. Uh, and it's it's a it's a it's a stunt. Right. We 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 just called it a stunt, you know, two minutes ago when we were talking about it. Uh, and that's that's what a gimmick is. It is definitely gimmicky. 
that doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to do, right? Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with it or right with it. It's, yeah, I think it's pretty cool personally, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to really make any waves. It's not going to be a huge thing because $12,000 a year. I mean, it sounds like a lot. It sounds great, especially when you think about people who just really have nothing, but that's not going to be this like, you know, revolutionary game changer. Well, that's that kind of raises an interesting question, which is that he's talking about a year long program <laughs> and it's uh, it's September 15th. The elections are uh, the Democratic primaries in what, like it starts in four months, five months. Uh, I believe it's February is the first vote. That would be pretty interesting if he just stops when he drops out. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Game over. Well, he, I mean, he's, I, I, I don't know if he will drop out, you know, because he's a message candidate. He's not trying to win. He's probably just going to stay in it as long as he can. Uh, and as, as long as it's not losing him too much money. Yeah, I agree. He's probably going to want to get as much of the vote as possible so he can say at the end, hey, we got 3% of the vote. You know, we'll build on this for next time. And honestly, that's where people like Bernie started. You know, I don't necessarily see anything wrong with that. Um, and I think that kind of what I would like to see long term uh, from from Yang uh, uh, and I get I realize this is getting off topic, but what I'd like to see is that kind of his his policy platform to be integrated into the more moderate Democratic wing uh, to be, uh, you know, to kind of be the the second option to the leftists. Right. Because you have the Bernie wing uh, and then you have the Biden wing. And I think the Biden wing is honestly I think it's antiquated. I don't I think it's representing fewer and fewer Democrats. And I think they need some kind of option to move forward. And I think the only viable option right now is to is a different form of progressivism, which I think Andrew Yang more closely represents the technocratic side of things. Yeah, I was just about to say technocratic. So, I mean, I like him. I think he's a cool guy. He's actually got better answers on a lot of things than most candidates. But uh, I'm just really not a fan of that UBI thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. No, I, I think a lot of people are going to feel that same way. A lot of people like him personally. They just don't think, you know, they might disagree with any particular policy, but they like who he is. Uh, and they kind of generally, they like his general message without maybe liking any of his specific uh, proposals. So I noticed we haven't really talked much about some of the other candidates. What are people's opinions of how Castro did. We brought him up towards the beginning, um, but we didn't really, we kind of glossed over his uh, his moments. Well, do we think that he did well or what? Not really. I think he had some, some screen time. I don't think that screen time did him any favors. When you the don't... filibuster came up, I remember he took another shot at Biden. I forget what he said, something about... Uh... He takes all the credit for Obama's good deeds, but ignores all the bad, something around those lines. So, something along those lines as well as like, and he also claimed that he's not really trying to defend Obama's legacy all that much. Um, so, but I mean, Castro's primary primary concern with, with Obama was the uh, immigration issues. And that was a lot of concern with a lot of people. So it's not, 
it's not unfair to to bring it up. Castro's uh he wants a 21st century Marshall Plan. I remember him saying that, which is like yeah. one of like like all of them want a Marshall Plan. I don't even think they like realize what they're saying. The Marshall Plan wasn't like a charity case. It was a way to contain Russia. <laughs> it yeah, wasn't. It was uh, like a course. military and yeah, exactly. Move. I, I agree. I don't think what I I don't think they realize what they're saying because of the historical. They, it's like they literally there. drank the Kool Aid of American propaganda, and I don't mean propaganda in some like conspiracy way. It's like you know how we we're taught about the Marshall Plan, like it's this wonderful thing. And don't get me wrong, it's great, but it's it's a little yeah. more dismal than what we've been led to believe. And I feel like most of them don't even realize that when they're saying we need a Marshall Plan. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, if you understand the historical context, when they say we want a Marshall Plan, what they're kind of implying is that we need to build up the economies of uh, Central America and you know, in Northern South America, in order to prevent some kind of great evil from happening. What? what oh, evil, I get it. I just yeah, don't what evil are Marshall you referring plan. to there? I, I think <laughs> I don't think that's how they mean it, but that's how it comes off. I, I think what they they mean is just that we the Marshall Plan. Made they the want to help other nations, and it's a great goal. It's just calling I, I think a 21st century Marshall Plan doesn't. It's just weird. Yeah, I think you know it's a little really different than that, though. Sorry, go ahead, Anthony. So I was going to say, I think it's it's a little simpler than that. It's more like we we got our entire economy to help these people, and that's the only reason they're calling the Marshall Plan. They're not even meant thinking of any of the other stuff that went along with it. It was like, oh, we got this done. It's like it's like Biden's moonshot. Like we're going to cure cancer. Like okay, dude. Uh, awesome. <laughs> like, well, I don't yeah, know. I, like it's it's it, 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 it. There's this really like strange dynamic going on where they think they're all supporting you know this kind of Marshall Plan, and yet you still have them open. You know, again, this even happened Thursday night. You know, it's 2019, and they're still attacking NAFTA and the TPP, which is just absolutely insane to me. Right? Like, if you want a Marshall Plan for the 21st century. Right. That's exactly what NAFTA was like. If you think of one single policy that helped, you know, Mexico's economy the most between, you know, the early 90s and today, 2019, it's going to be NAFTA. That is the single greatest policy. Trade with the United States is the single greatest way to help build an economy in Central America. It, it, and it, I just, it boggles the mind almost. That and tackling corruption. But I think they're they're primary retort to that was that it didn't it didn't help the average uh central american because there was more than just mexico um as much as should have happened so well yeah so that would be that would be in a, a reason to expand it further not a reason to oppose it and they also would say that the corporations kind of just said fuck america and moved to mexico to save a few dollars which isn't wrong so i don't know what elizabeth warren has this thing where she talks about uh, economic nationalism that actually plays to some of trump's base and the leftist base to a degree uh there's some overlap there i mean even tarko carl tucker carlson brought it up where he quoted a long speech of hers i think it was like two minutes or something he's like that wasn't trump that was elizabeth warren can you believe this guys oh my god so did any candidate not want to ban assault weapons I think the only person that actually brought it up as banning assault weapon, well, not the only person brought it up, but no, um, no, no, no. All no, no, no. really was, laid into that one. I, 
I don't think Warren or Sanders really said much about it. Of course, the Beto had his breakout moment when he was like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, we're coming for for your AR-15s and yeah. AK-47s." So, um, no, she Warren actually said uh, she brought up something that actually made a lot of sense. She kind of hinted at how we should concentrate on something more than just mass shootings, which is really smart. But uh, she also supports registration, and she definitely she said we need to get assault weapons off of the streets. Which I mean, there's only one way to get them off of the streets. Well, it depends on what off the streets means. I, I think these. This I mean, literally of, and metaphorically, we could pretty much make an educated guess on what that means. Even during the assault weapons ban, right? Like people could still own their weapons. So yeah, that's because it failed, not because they were being no, nice. It, and it didn't. <laughs> it didn't fail. It's what was specifically written into the law. Yeah, but they don't know. They don't know how to ban these things. They're still going to try. She's saying she's going to attempt to go further. The The 94 ban failed. That was a disaster for anyone who's a gun control proponent. That didn't ban anything. Um, so I agree. I think it failed. And Bernie said he will not wait for 60 votes to ban assault weapons. So they all kind of went into there. Yeah, I, I think it failed. Um, if you look at the numbers, right, you'll see that gun crime dropped. Uh, and crime in general dropped from 1994 when that ban was implemented. But of course, there's that's correlation and not causation, right? Yeah, but I mean, Feinstein said I would ban every single one of them if I could. It it was clearly they didn't get as far as they wanted to. It's not like they were just like compromising out of the goodness of their hearts. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I'm I'm a gun control advocate and i thought they all gave bad answers uh just because all of their answers are very they're driven by emotion and not necessarily the practical aspects of implementing any kind of law like that they haven't really given it much thought other they than they can't define what an assault weapon is and when you right, ask them they get right, mad exactly. and I mean, they start shutting down they're all trying to emotionally appeal to voters who want gun control but they don't really know how to do it, and they wouldn't even try to do it once they were elected. That's the impression oh, that I got. I think they will. There's this is such a movement no. now. Have you seen what the gun control crowd yeah. has become? It's yeah, no, I've NRA. seen what they've become, but but yeah, and I agree. I think it is well, I think it is bigger than the NRA because the NRA is just an organization, it's not necessarily no, this it's is not a cultural a, movement. To, I, I think right, exactly. Um, I would but, say Mateo's probably right about that, but I, I, I just don't. I don't see any anything serious coming of it. You know, you might get things. You'll get things like background checks. You'll get things like uh, you'll get small things. What like the bump stock ban, or you know, l limitations to the uh, number of rounds in a magazine. You'll get things like that. But I don't think anything major will actually come of it. And if it they really try depends to, where the House and Senate goes. Yeah, and if they if they try to ban assault weapons uh, again. Uh, they'll have a big issue defining assault weapons and the ultimate definition, whatever they can come to, whatever agreement they can reach in Congress will be so watered down that it won't do anything. But that's not nothing. That's still harassing gun owners. Like that's not like you can't brush that off like that. Correct. Harass no, I will brush it off because it, it's not going to make any sort of difference. It's just going to be. It's, it's going to harass gun owners. You just agreed what, what with that. What do you mean harass? What do you mean harass? 
going to make them have to get these stupid different features on guns for no rational reason. Like a pistol grip is going to have to be altered or something. Like it just makes no sense. Yeah, but it it's also like such a minimal difference that it's not going to make any sort of difference in gun crime. It's also not going to make any really any huge noticeable difference in gun ownership. No, it won't, but it's still going to harass them. Just like the 94 ban did. You had yeah, to also take away it. two features. It's just I don't think it's worth it. push for it. I don't think it's worth it. I also don't think it's that big of a deal. And that's what pisses me off the most, which is that it's all just lip service. It's not lip service. These people are really serious about this. They uh, okay. So I think, to dead hold, children. Hold on a second. I think there's, there's two different crowds. There are the people that are like, we need to ban these today because people are dying and I need, we need to do something to do it. And they see other countries that have done it and they're like, why can't we do it? Like that works. It's not Let's because people that. are dying. It's hold because people in, ma- yes, it's in because, larger groups it's because in people, anomalies. It's because people are dying. They're anomalies. Well, it's because, about. it's because people are dying in certain contexts, right? They care about exactly. mass shootings. Well, they context. care about mass there shootings. Uh, they care about school shootings. They don't care about everyday gun crime. I think it was I, I would say, I was, no, 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 hold on, hold on. To be I fair, though, Warren did actually mention other gun issues, they, which is a good idea. I was just about to mention that. I was asking one person bring it up and it was elizabeth warren who mentioned that this is just one part of a bigger issue i would say that the people that are going for march for our lives and those people there are concerned about general gun crime as well however i mean these, they don't deny on. it but however they also see that a handgun is a personal defense tool <laughs> so they're not going to go through the whole thing of trying to ban every single weapon they have in their mind a certain type of weapon that it, it, it creates a massive amount of casualties and they're going to go after the things that cause that. Because it's creating a massive amount of casualties too. These people are hypocrites and they don't know what they're talking uh, about. They're not. No, they they might yes, not. They, they don't. Hold on, hold Virginia on. Tech's one of the biggest but, slaughters in all and they're pistols. Like these people don't make sense. I, yeah, they I'm going to interrupt also. <laughs> because I, Mateo and I are on opposite sides of this issue, and we completely agree here, which is that handguns are also, a, you know, I think most gun deaths in, in the United States, something like 70 to 80% of all gun deaths are handgun deaths. So you got it in your boot. It's a yeah, fucking it's, murder it's, weapon. To call that a home defense weapon, a self defense weapon, and not an AR 15, which is just a semi automatic rifle, like it, it just, it doesn't make sense from any sort of legal or practical perspective. It's born of a complete miseducation when it comes to firearms. And these people aren't interested in learning. They have these platitudes, they have these positions and it, re- it re- they're rewarded socially for them. Which is why it's just lip service. When they say they're going to ban something, it's, it's, it's just going to cause money. Some... It's not just lip service. They no, will it, try. They will try to do minimal things and it's going to be some extra red tape and it's not going to make a huge difference, but it will piss a lot of people off. That's what's going to happen. I think this is, grounds for a its own episode we're getting very heated yes uh, we're not a, when i say heated I don't, I don't mean like we're but it, it's we're getting a little hot on their collar so let's let's put this on hold and go back to the democratic debate um, the filibuster uh on eliminating it they're all asked about that yeah that i actually was about to to mention mention that i think it was Bernie was asked explicitly about it more than I think the other candidates were. There was a bit of a five, 10 minute gap that I didn't get to see because I was feeding the uh, parking meter. But um, what are, what are the thoughts on that? Where are the Democrats actually on the filibuster issue? Are they, 
are they emotionally invested into the narrative that we need to get rid of it to make democracy work better? Or are they more along the lines of Bernie Sanders where you're like, no, it's something that's important. We just need to reform it. I think they're just really nearsighted and don't realize it's going to be a big problem for them also in the future. Same thing with what the Republicans did. It's, it's just not a good idea. I feel like we should be a more slower moving uh, country. Bernie said no. He actually doesn't support removing the filibuster, I think. He yeah, did say no. He, he did say explicitly that. say no. And I, I, I agree. Uh, I think that removing the filibuster would be a huge move. I mean, we've had a bunch of rule changes regarding the filibuster in recent years, but minorities still need to have, you know, minorities in, in Congress still need to have some kind of self-defense mechanism uh to otherwise they're just going to get steamrolled and exactly. the filibuster the, the filibuster is too important to to be so sh, uh, you know to be so to focus on such the near term um and yeah it's it's, it's no rough. mystery that the people who want to get rid of the electoral college also want to limit, eliminate the filibuster no i i think the people that want to eliminate the electoral college there's there's split on the filibuster rule I mean, there is variation, but I, I think, think a lot of them are kind of linked, uh, synced up. I think that's I think that's too esoteric for a lot of people to have a strong opinion on the filibuster. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the people who do, obviously. Well, even the people that do a lot understand that the filibuster, the people that have that are very well informed about the filibuster and what it's used for, are split over it. Most people are not split over the electoral college issue. Most people are. are we need to get rid of it as it exists today in order to make sure everybody has uh, everybody vote everybody's vote counts there's going to be difference there's going to be a disagreement about how to get there whether to uh, you know do a straight popular vote or make it to where each state has to award their uh, electors proportionally to the vote something along those lines so What was next? They talked about national security and foreign policy next, right? Uh, yeah, I believe that, that was one Which of is the really things. interesting. A lot of them were very like, I'm going to, this is going to confuse a lot of people, but Trumpian, like they, none of them talked about removing the tariffs. They were all like, eh, I don't know. I'm, I might not get rid of them right away. Like, That's, that, are, that caught me off guard. I was very surprised by that. Well, that's the old school Democrats coming out of them. You know, Dem Democrats were always kind of, or not always, but in recent decades were a lot more anti-trade. Trump is actually yeah. the wild card. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, right. Democrat, uh, there was the Reagan consensus, but that was the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. It's always been split about what, what to do about tariffs and dealing with China and that sort of thing. But everyone seemed real reluctant to say they'd just like scrap them. They're like, yeah, well, well, we got to negotiate with China, Kind of the consensus answer was, you know, we want to get rid of these, but we're not going to do it without utilizing them as leverage against China, right? That's, so that's yeah. like, so that's like, wow, that's the exact point of the tariffs, <laughs> right? That's that's exactly why Trump implemented them, and you all said he was stupid for doing it, and you know, I have, of course, I don't trust Trump to to, to do any of that. I don't, I, I don't trust him to negotiate any sort of good deal, but. I'll, you know, the de Democrats said, you know, we shouldn't be doing this at all. You know, and now they're all saying, OK, we're going to take these tariffs and we're going to use them to. to our, I don't, our I don't think that they stuff. said. Like, 
point. Like, why not just roll them back if you thought they should be rolled back in the first place? It's so I, I don't. I don't think that they were saying this shouldn't be done at all. A lot of Democrats are very much let's contain China. That's what maybe, TPP was about. I think maybe most not the candidates, just, but people. If you any sort of, I mean, anyone on social media, anyone you know, okay. Left-wing sure. news outlets, they were all saying, we should not be doing this. No, left-wing news outlets were actually kind of split on that one. This is That's what I'm Okay, doing. I'll so, take your word for it because I, I don't really watch left-wing news other than MSNBC, but I'll take your word for it. Well, MSNBC, I wouldn't consider left. That's more moderate Democrat. <clears throat> Okay. Left wing, left wing news outlets. No, no, no. no. So let's 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 make this let's make this. Uh, Talking this about the people who got Rachel Maddow on uh, as like a flagship, right? I'm, okay, I'm talking, so not like like I'm think talking progress, Jacobin and well, think progress Jacobin. Oh, Jesus, Jacobin is like new, a straight up like communist news outlet. No, Jacobin is <laughs> is very much a socialist. Thing, but <laughs> that's what I'm saying, though. But, like those are the the Rachel the Rachel Maddows. And the MSNBC and, the, and some of the other mainstream Democratic news sources were more along the lines of this isn't something that shouldn't be done at all. And this is something that Trump shouldn't be doing because Trump is an idiot. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I mean, it's I, mean, I get I it. I mean, I definitely get it. Trump is an idiot and he was doing tariffs for all the wrong reasons. But exactly. That's the I point. would give like, a better answer. I would be like, well, we got to go unilateral. Which actually, I'm sure someone did. I might be missing it. I don't want to be completely unfair. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah, said well, a little I, bit unfair. I, I, Pete did I will say give you the that there should the be doubt. a coalition. Yeah, I will give you the benefit okay, of the doubt and say that it was split. Um, but at the same time, it's like it's really it's still just surprising to hear all of these candidates, every single one of the Democratic candidates, say this wasn't a bad policy. I just don't trust the person doing it. Cause they that's did oppose that, the tariffs on Canada steel though. They were pretty uh, yeah. specific about that. That's it. Which uh, I Klobuchar, Klobuchar, that's one of the things I remember about her answers was that uh, she was quoted as supporting it and then kind of had to roll back her answer and said, she no longer, she said it was different. Yeah. Well, that's her state. Chinese. Yeah. Her, her, she said it was different than Chinese steel. Uh, but you know, when you're running for president, it's a national office. You can't just be like running for the interests of your state. It doesn't work like that. No, I, I think she definitely said that because of a couple of the uh, manufacturing plants had to, had to shut down. Um, when this was first happening, I remember a, a distinct story on NPR about a beer keg manufacturer having to shut down because they couldn't uh, do the margins went negative because the steel uh, price went too high. Well, if your margins uh, are close, that's going to happen on any price raise. How how severe was the, the price increase on steel? The, the price went up by like 120%. That's pretty serious. Yeah, it was it was something it was some ridiculous number. It wasn't just like, you know, 10%. It was like doubled. Or something like that. And uh, what's the relative to the entire pr cost of production? Uh, how much is is steel as as far as beer keg production? I think it was the majority of the cost. The same thing. There was a, a nail. No, no, um, no. I don't. I, there's aluminum used in it, but I think it's steel casing. Oh, okay. On the outside. 
So it's probably aluminum on the inside and steel on the outside. Same thing with the nails. There was a Claire McCaskill had a uh, a plant a nail plant in her town or her state shut down because of the increase in steel. They couldn't afford to make the nails anymore. But I think uh, we should be wrapping up soon. We've been on we've been live for about an hour and twenty five minutes, which means we've been talking for about an hour and fifteen. Is there any other point? that we would like to make. And anybody that's watching us still, if you have any questions, please go ahead and ask them in the chat and we will get to them. They all pretty much uh, agreed we should kind of get out of Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. That's a very good point. That was very good. Uh, I remember Yang saying we should end the forever wars. And my thought was, I don't know if you've thought this one through, but <laughs> uh, there are a lot of things <laughs> I like about Andrew Yang. His foreign policy experience is not one of them. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of the consensus answer. But but to be fair, that's also the consensus answer we've heard since 2004. So Biden defended pulling out of Iraq, which I thought was uh, kind of a good idea. It was We were done there. Yeah, no, I agree. We should pull out of Iraq. In Afghanistan, yeah. that's a no-brainer. But at the same time, you know, there are, there are things we could be doing elsewhere in the world that, you know, we don't want to turn into isolationists. We don't want to turn into pacifists. So that's not a good idea. And that's kind of that's kind of where all of the candidates were going. Not all of them. They weren't all that extreme. But I think uh, none of them. None of them Tulsi really wasn't up there. Yeah, none of them really gave any specific <laughs> – that's true, Tilsa Gabbard wasn't up there. Uh, none of them really gave any specific answers on where they think we could do any good. They just said that we shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing that. I and like I think that's Sanders, a fair stance. Oh, go ahead, Mateo. Please bring it up. I like how Sanders uh, said how he predicted what would happen in Iraq. Like, I really doubt he predicted all those specific specific events that led to what we had. <laughs> Even the drought in Syria that led to the resurgence and then the, the rise of ISIS. I doubt so, he predicted that. He just like flipped a coin. He predicted. He he did say that it would like on the the Senate floor. He yeah. did say that. This and is Ron Paul predicted the recession too, but that doesn't mean like he did no, it no, with no, an no, educated no. guess. No, I think I think Sanders is more is better educated on this on this matter than most people give him credit for. Sure, but all I'm saying is he couldn't predict what happened and how it happened. He got lucky, just well, like Ron Paul got lucky. Well, no, I I, I think. You, you didn't let me finish either. So what right. I think he was referring to was the fact that it led to a civil war and the dissolution of Iraq as we knew it at the time because of the civil war and sectarian violence that happened there. He didn't, I don't think he was referring to like, yeah, I knew ISIS was going to rise up. Like, I don't think he meant that. Well, they I mean, conflate a lot of that. They conflate modern day Iraq problems with pulling out and going into Iraq, even though a lot of it had to do with the failed state next door. I mean, I, don't I don't, is it really it not is inconsequential? It, do you really get that many points for predicting a civil war after you assassinate the leader of a country? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> it was fair. That's, that's like we're just going to bomb the capital of Iraq and kill Saddam Hussein. Like, like, do you, if he predicted it beforehand, like, do you like? Of course, there's going to be a civil war. There, what's really you need a Marshall is plan for Iraq? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what matters is. Uh, predicting, you know, how that civil war is going to resolve itself and what we can do in order to uh, alleviate the situation as much as possible. Yeah. 
And if your answer is don't do it at all, you know, that's a perfectly viable answer. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the right answer, but it's a viable answer. So we actually do have another question. Uh, it's kind of a question slash statement. So I'll just go ahead and read it word for word. The Democrats seem to be all focused on the goal of getting Trump out of office. Are any of the Democratic candidates capable of choosing a moderate Republican like Kasich to try and get votes from the anti-Trump Republicans and right-leaning but not committed moderates? Well, what do you mean choosing, like choosing them for the Democratic nomination? As in choosing them for I uh, um, choosing a moderate Republican. So I think he's he's saying that choosing a vice president pick. No, that would be a bad idea, and I don't think anyone would do it. Yeah, yeah I don't Democrats think so. Either. Shouldn't go for Kasich. Neither should Republicans. I, that guy got lucky. <laughs> Kasich also isn't a moderate. Uh, he he positions yeah, him, yeah. he he himself he's like, oh, that way, but he's not guys. a moderate. Yeah, no, he's. Actually, guys, we one, need to do good. I don't. He is I don't have very much a like social conservative. You know, I I don't have very strong opinions on many politicians. You know, I kind of understand where the actions of a lot of them without really feeling one way or another about it. You know, it's just kind of the way things are. Kasich, uh, Kasich is one of the few people who I just think, wow, that guy is just a real fucking asshole. I really <laughs> do not like Kasich. What makes you say, uh, you know, this is getting super off topic. I'll, I'll ask you after we're, we're done why, why you think that. <laughs> okay. we, can have a, we can have a small overtime after this. And uh, Klobuchar was pretty funny with the, she pretty much said the day after tomorrow is today, talking about climate. Oh, was that was a terrible line. Like, come on. That was a bad line. I think invoking the day after tomorrow. Trying to compete is, with Al Gore. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it, it reminded me of. Like, you know, global warming talk fifteen years Man, ago. <laughs> oh, so Jason said that Kasich wasn't the point. Um, so he was saying like joint ticket was the point. Meaning, do you think they would be able to pick a moderate Republican at all? I would still say no, and that would completely destroy any chance of the Democrats winning at all. Yeah, yeah when it comes no, to the I primaries, agree. they're super dyed in the wool, and then they kind of peter out in the generals. So now oh, I think not it would. Republican. I think even I, choosing it after the primary was over, it would destroy any chance of winning. Yeah, agree. Uh, completely agree. Uh, you know, there's this kind of idea that splitting the middle means you're going to get, you know, the most votes from the right and the most votes from the left. And what it really means is that you're going to get no votes from the right and no votes from the left, because the people on the right aren't going to vote for, you know, a ticket led by a Democrat, even if John Kasich is VP over Trump. And people on the left are going to look at Kasich on the on the ticket and just say, no, I'm sending this one out. That's what's going to happen. It's yeah. it'd be suicide. Like there's, and even if it's not Kasich, even if it's any other moderate Republican, even a likable moderate Republican, even if it were John McCain, it would, it, it just would, it would be awful. It would be the worst idea in political history. It would be worse than picking Sarah Palin as your vice president. It'd be a moonshot, and that's putting it mildly. Yeah, and Democrats don't need a moonshot to beat Trump. He won by a very slim margin, and he's horribly unpopular. Like you, and I just, think he won just, because a lot of people just assumed he was going to lose. Like, who yeah, wasn't I mean, shocked when he won? Democrats can just Democrats don't need to play it safe on this one because they have a little bit of wiggle room, right? 
they can they can go with a ticket that's farther to the left and still get more votes than Trump, in my opinion. You know, they can go with even it doesn't matter if Bernie is the nominee. Uh, I think Biden might have some issues, uh, but I think he would still probably narrowly beat out Trump because of his appeal to Rust Belt America. I don't really see any single candidate among the Democratic primary that would lose to Trump in by a significant margin. I think this is a good segue to to choose a wrap up question um, since we are at an hour and 30 minutes about uh, who do we think the most likely VP candidate is out of the top four. I'm not, I'm sorry. Let me, let me rephrase that out of the top four of presidential uh, contenders. What candidate are they or person are likely most likely to pick right now as their VP? Warren or mayor Pete. You, so you don't think Warren is like Warren's the part oh, of the right. top four. So that's you're what I'm right, saying. Right. Like, I would then just Mayor Pete, really. Yeah, I think, but that might be my yeah. bias. I just like him a lot. No, I think <laughs> fair. No, that's part of the appeal. A, he's from Indiana. That's 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 a that's good for him as far as getting a VP nod. Uh, B, he's a very likable person. You know, he has some national name recognition now. Uh, he's proven himself pretty competent on television uh, and. Uh, diplomacy i i think he would be he's probably the top choice for vice president right now i would say i would say that that's probably true i've, I've always said that since learning of mayor pete um that he would cover a lot of weaknesses that the other candidates have he, he also has the advantage of being able to kind of bridge the gap between the left wing and the moderate wing uh kind of like warren does uh, so I think that gives him a certain appeal, but he also, it, he's, he doesn't like steal votes from Warren either. So it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. They need to be really bold. They need to think of like something just crazy, like Tim Kane. <laughs> oh no, God. Think about uh, that. Mr. Eyebrows. <laughs> How did that even happen, man? He was like another hey. version. He was just another Hillary. I, that was part of it. Hillary wanted somebody she was comfortable working with, but he also was very likable from the Midwest. That was the calculus. True. Yeah. Somebody, yeah. somebody that's likable from the Midwest that can speak to to issues of of mid Midwesterners, as well as being able to speak perfect fluent Spanish. And that was another calculus, even though he was white guy. Well, everyone, I think that it was a great place to wrap this up. Thank you all for joining us throughout the cast. We had probably about 15 people or so join us live. Thank you for your great questions. Uh, once this is done recording and uh, some of the beginning parts cleaned up a little bit while we we're waiting to start is uh, edited out, we will be posting this live to our podcast page which is on Podbean at Crowdsource Politics. Uh, we are also posted to the group Crowdsource Politics, the group, and Cloud Crowdsource Politics, the Facebook page. If you like what you heard today, please like, share, subscribe. Also, we are very much open to constructive critiques. Please, please, please tell us what we can do better, what topics you would like to hear, and it, if you would like to be interviewed or participate in one of the episodes, we're trying to make this as uh, much of a community event as possible. We want to get your input. We want to get you on the shows if we have an interesting topic that you'd like to talk about and just interview you in general to give people in the group more 
uh, info about the members of the group. And so like always, like always keep your head up through the political storm.